We're in a series talking about being sane in an insane world, so I want to lighten the mood a little bit with uh, a joke or two. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in helping people uh, get emotionally and mentally healthy. And this one particular psychiatrist had a great practice. I mean, always a lot of people there, office always full, you know, a lot going on out there. And he had to bring his nurse in kind of get on to her for something she kept saying in front of the patients out there. She kept, he said, would you just please say that we are very busy instead of quit telling everyone out there this is a madhouse? You have to think about that for a second, but it is funny. A depressed guy goes into a bookstore, goes into a bookstore looking for a book that will help him. That's a great thing to do, by the way. And he he looks in the self-help, he looks in the psychology, and he's looking through the titles. And then he literally, and this is a true book out there, he sees this book, Depression for Dummies. Depression for Dummies. He said he walked out of the store more depressed than he was than he went in, and he said you should never call a depressed person a dummy. Amen? We're going to be in the Bible this morning in 1 Kings 18 and 19. We're in the Bible every Sunday here, hopefully. 1 Kings 18 and 19. We're going to really look at 1 Kings 19. And we're talking this morning again about depression. If you were here last week, we touched on it. And the Bible has a whole, whole, whole lot to say about this issue and about being mentally healthy and stronger. Just a real simple definition of depression. It's an undue sadness. An undue or a heavy sadness, feelings of dejection or, or feeling unworthy, oftentimes combined with guilt, sometimes guilt we don't even know where it's coming from, and or grief. Let's answer this question first. When, when can depression strike us? When are we vulnerable to depression? Most of us would agree that, that after something bad happens, we understand that depression can hit us. But there's some interesting things in this passage today. And let's begin with this. Depression can hit us after the high times. Depression can hit us after everything has gone great. Depression can hit us after we have just coached our best game, played our best game, taught our best class, preached a semi-decent sermon. It, it can hit us after we feel like things have gone real well. Let me give you the background. Chapter 18, Elijah's a prophet of God. And this is a dude you did not mess with. He didn't tell jokes in his sermons. I mean, he was hard-nosed. He goes to battle against really the king of the country, King Ahab, and, and his array of false prophets. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. God's trying to get these people's attention. It really is not working fully. And then it, it, it culminates in chapter 18 when Elijah meets with King Ahab. He's the king of the country on Mount Carmel. And, and Ahab has 850 of the bad guy prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Asherah was the female goddess wife of Baal. Now, Baal worship's kind of complicated, but it's false worships. Uh, it, it practices a lot of sexual immorality in the worship. They sacrifice their children in the fire as part of the worship. Some of you feel like doing that occasionally. You don't. But they did. They were wicked, wicked, wicked. And so there's going to be a contest between God, the real God, and between the false prophets. Here's what they do. The false prophets build an altar. They put an animal on there to sacrifice. And they call out to their gods for hours, hours asking their god to strike supernaturally, strike it with lightning, and to burn up the the fire. Nothing happens for hours. Elijah starts mocking them. He literally says to them, hey, maybe your god's in the bathroom. That's in chapter 18. Read it later. It's pretty funny. 
Then Elijah says, it's my turn. So he gets a bull, he sacrifices a bull, he puts his altar, and they dump tons of water on it. If you're wanting to start a fire, you don't put water on something, if you're smart. Amen? You agree with nothing else I said this morning, you have to agree with that. If you're in the middle of a drought, it's kind of weird to pour a bunch of water on something, right? They do. He prays, God hits that with lightning, boom, that bull is sacrificed, there's a fire, Elijah gets 450 of those 450 prophets of Baal, and he kills them. Now, you're saying, well, that's that Old Testament stuff that's weird and I don't like. You've got to go back and remember these prophets of Baal were wicked, demonic people. I mean, they, they killed their own kids as they worshiped God. They were terrible. This was really a battle of, of good versus evil. And so you would think after that, I mean, this is a highlight. He prays, and it rains after three and a half years. This is unbelievable. But look in verse 4. Probably a, literally a day later, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree. Broom trees a tree that will go 10 to 12 feet and, and can spread out with its leaves to pr- provide a little bit of shade. Here's what he prayed. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now. O oh Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Now, here was his prayer, literally. I'll sum it up. Here's this prayer. God, I'm going to lay, me, lay myself down to sleep. Please kill me before I wake. Amen. Would you agree that's a depressed dude? No. Well, it was. Right after unbelievable victories. Folks, this will sneak up on you. Sometimes things will be going so well, and, this, and then out of the blue, it just seems like the bottom falls out in your heart and your mind. Maybe not out literally, but it does in here. I, I read this book, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago, Adrenaline and Stress by Dr. Archibald Hart. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Dr. Hart says, after we have a big event, you're, you're a player, an athlete, or a student's a big test, or, or you're a coach, and after a big game, or whatever it is, and even when things go real well, you, ha- you have a natural adrenaline dump from your body, where you have you have got high, you've got excited, and that leaves you. I, I would preach on Sundays. I used to preach three times on Sunday, and I'd come home even after a good Sunday when people laughed and when things went well, and I'd go home, and at the end of the day, I noticed I felt kind of depressed, and Dr. Hart said that's normal. It's a normal thing that'll happen. We're in the middle of the Winter Olympics right now. There's literally a syndrome called post-Olympic depression. Where athletes, even ones who win Olympic gold medals, when they come home, they go through a period of depression. That's very normal because they've been high, high, high. Hopefully not on anything illegal, illegal, illegal. But they've been high on that adrenaline, and now it's gone. So be aware that depression can hit you even after a great victory. Here's the second thing. And, man, this is, so, this is where a lot of you are this morning. It hits you when your hopes and expectations are not fulfilled. You've prayed about something, you've hoped for something, you've believed it was going to happen, you worked for it, and then it just does not happen. Here's what some scholars believe that, that happened. Elijah and Ahab hated each other. Really, Ahab hated him. And then Ahab, the evil king, is there, and he sees everything that happens. He sees his gods do nothing. He sees the real God do everything. He sees the bad guys get slaughtered, and, and they're apparently just defenseless to do anything about it because God's in the middle of it. It rains, and it hadn't rained in three and a half years. 
It says in chapter 18, Elijah ran ahead 17 miles. He got in front of Ahab's chariot and ran ahead of him back to Jezreel. Now, that was supernatural, but also a lot of times a runner went before the king as a way to say, hey, this is the king, and I'm honoring him, and I'm, I'm bringing recognition to him. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel, by the way, this is a bad, bad chick. All that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So maybe, maybe Elijah thinks Ahab's going to become a Christian. Jezebel's going to follow God. It's going to be great. But look in verse 2, what Jezebel says. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, those prophets that you killed by this time tomorrow. Man, Jezebel and Ahab didn't get God. They got doubly angry. And then it says Elijah ran after this great victory. And he goes and he prays that God would kill him. How many of you in here know who Johnny Manziel is? Johnny Manziel, several years ago, was the most exciting and probably the greatest college football player in those two or three years. Played for a small school in Texas, Texas A&M. And uh, Cindy and I used to live down there. They are absolutely crazy, but it's a wonderful place. He won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, he was phenomenal, fun to watch. And, and, you know, I thought, and I mean, I'm a preacher, but I thought he'd go to the NFL and he would be great, and he didn't. He, he tanked. And I read this week an article where he admitted he's gone through a deep, deep depression, that he's now in counseling, that he's taking medication. And here's one of the things he said. I think this is this hopes and expectations fulfilled. He said, I watch people on TV doing now what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm sitting at home by myself realizing I'm not doing what I should have been doing. Maybe it's your marriage. Did your boyfriend or girlfriend break up with them? Expectations there need to be met until you get married. Then you're stuck with each other, right? Married people laugh a little. Help me. Maybe it's your job or your career. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your parents. But you just look at things and, and your hopes and expectations have not been fulfilled. It can certainly be very depressing. Here's a third time it can hit us when we are physically worn out, when we're just worn out. This is very interesting. Stay with me. In, in chapter 19, verse 3, Then he was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, a long way from Jezebel, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4, he, he went a day's journey into the desert. We know that. Then he gets under a broom tree and he asked to die. Okay, at the end of chapter 18, he had about a 17-mile run from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Now, I mean, almost immediately, he goes on a 90-mile trip away from Jezreel. He leaves his servant. Then he goes 15 miles deeper into the desert. And then if you go and you look at, at chapter 19, verse 8, it says, And he arose and ate and drank, and he went into the, with that strength of that food and 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. That was another 250-mile trip. So in just a matter of a short period of time, this guy was wearing his Nike sandals out, wasn't he? 
I mean, good grief. And we're going to see more in a moment how God deals with him that part of what was going on with Elijah, when he's asking, I think you'd say he's suicidal to some extent, when he's asking for God to kill him, he's just smack dab worn out. I preached about four weeks ago on taking a Sabbath day, taking a day off. Man, you need that rest. You, you, need, you need sleep. You need rest. You need a day off. If you're working seven days a week, you are going to burn out at some point. Poof. If you're playing seven days a week hard, you're going to burn out. And when you're, you're, your body gets physically depleted, a lot of times what's going to follow, it's going to be your emotions and your mind. You can absolutely wear yourself out. And depression will hit you when you're down. That's why, you know, when you're sick, you got the flu and you're home and you have to stay in bed or stay in the house for four or five straight days when you're just worn out. Man, you, you get emotionally depressed with that. Here's the fourth thing. Depression hits when we're thinking wrongly. When we're thinking wrongly. I won't read verse 4 again, but remember he lies under a tree and says, God, kill me. God, kill me. That's not rational, by the way. In verse 10, look at verse 10. He says to God, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. And I, God, even I only, I, even I only am left, and they seek my life. Verse 14 reiterates that exactly, he says the same thing again down a few verses earlier. Listen. Part of Elijah's problem is part of your problem and part of my problem. Nobody likes me. Nobody's being fair. I'm not, I'm not disputing. You may be in a situation that's messed up and you need to get out of it or you need to correct thing, some things, but everybody does not hate you. Everybody is not looking at you. Everybody is not looking at me and I'm talking loud with a microphone right now. We get paranoid and we get self-absorbed and we get irrational, of course we're going to go in a tailspin. I want you to see a video that I think illustrates and communicates this in a good way. Worry is an ancient success technique whereby you prevent terrible things from happening in your future by making yourself feel terrible right now. Worry makes things better 100% of the time. So you can pave the way for a better future through negative thinking and emotional stress. I'm going to teach you how to get better at worrying. Trying something new? Just remember all the times you failed in the past. Practice catastrophizing. Just imagine the worst possible thing that could happen to you when you're doing your normal daily activities. Never trust anyone. In fact, you should become more suspicious when people treat you kindly because they're probably just trying to manipulate you to take all your money and cannibalize your body. Remember that one day the sun will burn out and all of life on earth will be dead. Advise your doctor to write you a prescription for a medication to help you stop worrying. Then go home and start worrying about the inevitable side effects of that medication. Type conspiracy theories in on Google, and then read about them for at least an hour every day. Talk about your worries with your friends, but don't let them pull you down by discussing solutions. Remind yourself that people are constantly judging you. If you get stricken with a case of feeling peaceful, turn on the news to find out what you should be worrying about today. When you're going to bed at night, remember home invasion is a thing. Go on WebMD and read about random illnesses to determine if you have any symptoms of those illnesses. Because worry always helps, enjoy maximizing your life and taking it to the next level. 
Oh yeah, and remember the device that you're watching this video on is killing you with dangerous EMFs. How many of you know that person? <laughs> How many of you are that person? It's not, it's not going to, I love what the, when he says, don't let people bother you with solutions. That's the, how we can be, isn't it? Okay, let's look at God's solutions. We've looked at some of the times it can hit us. What are some of God's solutions for beating the blues monsters? I would recommend you getting counseling if you need it. So your medical doctor, you may need medicine. That's great. But here's some things God says, and they're surprising. Number one, get some rest. Get some rest. I'm going to say some things that the Bible says here that some of you are too spiritual to think are important. But they made the Bible, so obviously God thinks they're important. Let me review with this uh, again. Uh, in just a matter of a few weeks, he goes on a 17-mile trip, a 90-mile trip, a 15-mile trip farther in the desert, and then a 250-mile trip. Wow. In chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And look and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and he laid down again and he slept. You know, isn't it neat? God, one of the things that God let him do, that God had him do, is he had him rest. He didn't make him memorize a bunch of Old Testament Hebrew he didn't make him name off all the other prophets. He said, Elijah, you're worn out. And, and one of the best things some of you could do is start taking care of yourself. Are, are you taking one day off a week for you, for God, for your family, for fun, for rest? Man, you need to. When I've been at some bad spots in my life, I couldn't sleep well. And people say, well, you'll, you'll need to sleep. Well, you can't sleep if you can't sleep, go see a doctor. Maybe he needs to give you some medicine that can not do anything evil or wrong to you, but just help you sleep. Harvard Business Review last year said this, and I think this is good, that rest and quiet, building rest and quiet in our lives, it helps our nervous system, it helps our energy level, it just absolutely restores and renews our system. You know what some of you need to do who are just down today? You need some rest. Here's the second thing. Eat right. Eat right. I'm not going to read these again that I just read, but one of the things that God did to Elijah is he had him rest, he woke him up, and he fed him. You notice it was an angel who fed him. Somebody said a cake. Somebody after the first service said, you know what kind of cake it was? I said it was a little Debbie, but... He said it was an angel food cake. That wasn't me, so I agree it was kind of shady. But years ago, I heard a sermon. I mean, this was years and years ago before I was a preacher. I heard a sermon on this passage, and the preacher was great, but he didn't really explain it well. And he said, if you're depressed, go home and sleep and eat. Well, I don't know. For some reason, I was a little bit down that day. So I went home to my parents' house. And my mother had made a Mississippi mud cake. Any of you know what that is? In heaven, they are eating that right now with no calories. In hell, everyone's fat and they're eating cabbage, okay? <laughs> Mississippi mud cake is awesome. It is awesome. And so I went home and I, got, I made a bowl and I put some ice cream on it because Jesus, that's how he ate his cake. And, and so I ate a big bowl and I go, you know, I'm still a little bit depressed. I'm not making any of this up. So I ate another bowl. And then I laid down and slept for an hour. And I woke up. And I didn't feel any better. And I thought, God and the Bible don't work. That's not what it was talking about. It was talking about one of the things that you need to do. So when you get depressed, you either eat too much 
of the wrong stuff or you don't eat enough. And, and getting the proper rest and the proper nutrition can absolutely help you. Again, if you're too spiritual to get this, why did it make it in the Bible? It's in the Bible for a reason. Here's the third thing. Get up and get moving. Get up and get moving. We get depressed. We don't want to move much. In chapter 19, verse 15, And the Lord said to him, I want you to go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And he's going to give him some tasks. We'll see in a moment. Now, go meant leave this cave where you're hiding. Go back on that 250-mile journey and, and get back to work. He had exhausted himself physically, but now he's laying in a cave. It's a good cave. Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But he said, you need to get up and you need to get going. What we do when we get depressed, a lot of times is we want to stay inside. And all that does is it brings us down. It does not help us at all. Dr. Charles Lowry has preached here on a number of occasions. He's a wonderful Christian preacher. He's very funny. And he's also got a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. And he said when he first started practicing, he got a call one day. And a lady called him and said, oh, Dr. Lowry, I'm too depressed to come to my my appointment, I can't get out of bed. He goes, what, you can't get out of bed? Are you paralyzed? I mean, you know, he, he kind of panicked at first. Do I need to call 911? What's going on? She said, no, 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 I just can't get out of bed. What do you mean? I, I just, psychologically, I can't get out of bed. Can you help me? He goes, yep. Scoot over as close as you can to the end of the bed and throw one leg on the floor. <laughs> and then the second leg on the floor. Now, you push off real hard on that bed. Are you out of the bed? I'm out of the bed. He said, a lot of times, it's just getting up and get going. She said, well, doctor, I'm too depressed to come see you. I can't, I can't get out. I, I don't want to get out. I don't want to do anything. He said, ma'am, I have to. He was preaching then. He said, I've got to get up and go to work every Sunday. They can't cancel church because the preacher's depressed and I can't preach. He said, I have to get up. He said, I have preached on depression when I've been depressed. And I love what, what his thought on that is. Certainly, you may need time off. You, you may need some time in a special place. But at some point, if you're going to get better, you've got to get up and you've got to get moving. Man, the, the data is so overwhelming on what exercise, how good it, it is for, for us. Listen to this. When we exercise, endorphins are released that give it like an opiate, natural opiate effect to our body. It inhibits pain, produces euphoria. Exercise burns the stress hormone cortisol. And, and so you're, some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to start working out eight hours a day. I read this week a 10-minute walk regularly will help boost the feel-good hormones in your body. Again, this is not something you can try once and quit. But one of the most important things we can do a lot of times is just take care of ourselves and get up and get moving. But movement wasn't just enough for Elijah, and it's not enough for you and me. Here's the fourth thing. Get to serving God and other people. Get to serving God and other people. Look in verse 9. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah makes a bunch of excuses. In verse 13, the same thing is said again. Now, you can write this down, but verse 15 through 17, here's what God does. God says, Elijah... You've been out of the game for a while. It's time to get back in the game. And he gave him three tasks. I want you to go and anoint this person as a king and this person as a king. And I want you to anoint Elisha as your successor prophet. All three of these people were going to help continue the work that Elijah had started. 
All three of these tasks were difficult. Two of those kings he was going to put in place, this was kind of a rebellion against the country. These weren't people that were in the bloodline. So he was saying, I've got some challenges for you to get you back in the game, and I want you to get up and get back with it. Listen, what, what many of us need to do, especially when we're feeling down, man, take meds if you need that, rest, sleep, eat Mississippi mud cake, walk, but you need to start serving God and serving other people. And by the way, being critical is not serving. Amen? Anybody can sit in the top of the bleachers and tell what the coach is doing wrong. We call that a loser. You get in the game and you start doing something. You start trying to make a difference. Whether it's at your schools, whether it's in the community, whether it's at your church. Listen, if you need something to do, come up here. We will find something for you to do. You may not like it, but we'll keep you busy. We can find something that you'll like and keep you busy. Carl Jung was a famous psychologist in the 20th century. He was asked one time, what would you tell a depressed person to do? He said, the first thing I would tell them to do is walk across the street and help somebody. Start making things better around you that is the key to getting out and over the blues. Here's the next thing. you got to start thinking rightly. Get your thinking straight. Verse 18 is funny. It's at the end of this section. It's kind of like a P.S. that God gives to uh, Elijah. Elijah said, God, I'm the only one that loves you. God, I'm the only one that serves you. He said it twice in verse 18. Oh, by the way. There's 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, or their mouth have not kissed the idol of Baal. What, what, boy, he needed to hear that. Elijah, you're not the only one who loves me. I read this week, this pilot had been interviewed, and he had been a commercial pilot for years on several big planes, and he said, most of the time, we overestimate turbulence on the plane. How many of you are uncomfortable when going through turbulence? I am, because I'm thinking the wing's coming off, right? The wing, how far is the plane going to carry us, what Ron White say, to the scene of the crash, you know? And the pilot said, you think that we're sitting up there panicked, holding on to the wheel like this? He goes, we're up there joking around, we're looking at the instruments, we're having a great time, because we know most of the time the turbulence is not near as bad as you think it is. I'm not downplaying anything that's going on in your life, but I want to say again, people... Everyone doesn't hate you. Everyone's not watching you. Everyone doesn't know your business. Everyone is not against you. You've got to quit thinking that way. You can't be negative, critical, and irrational and be happy and healthy. You've got to think right. That's a key to getting over your depression and staying healthy. And here's the last thing that brings it all together. You've got to get in or get back in a right relationship with God. Get in means you don't have that. Get back in means you have it, but you're not where you need to be. Of everything that was going on in Elijah's life, truthfully, he was not where he needed to be with God. Can you be in a great relationship with God and get depressed? Absolutely. But listen to me. If you're a Christian, if you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, you cannot be living contrary to God. And be psychologically and emotionally happy. You're going to be down. One of the the best things you could do today if you're a Christian 
is get back in a right relationship with God, you're never going to be joy-filled. and You're never going to be the person God's called you to be without that. And if you're not a Christian, man, what you need more than anything else is a true relationship with Christ. It's not a solve all your problems, but it's a foundation for everything else. So what I want to say is I'm throwing the ball back to you. I think God's throwing it back to you and saying he wants to help you. He wants you to get better. He wants things to continue on a good path, but you have got to make the right decisions. I have to make them. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I pray you will make those right decisions if you need to. Maybe you are close to God, but you're depressed. Man, God loves you. Let Him him love you. You're here this morning, and you're, you're not a Christian, or you're unsure if you're a Christian. If you're ready today to cross that line with Jesus, pray with me. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe, I accept that you're God's son who died for me and arose for me. Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a second. And when we do, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your life. Or maybe you're ready to do that. I'd love to talk to you after church. I'll be standing over here. Ministers will be around. Or you could come when we stand right now. Come this morning. Give your life to Christ. Do that. Maybe you'd like to join our church. Man, we would love for you to. You, you need a church. And, and if God's leading you here, we need you. You can certainly do that after church. Or you could come when we stand in a moment. You could come and join us. Christian, maybe you do need to get back right with God. Where you're standing or at the altar. Maybe you just want to come and let us pray for you. Or pray with with you. We would love to. Let's stand.